Now, today we're going to deal with an unmentionable that um, all of us can relate to because it's so basic to the human condition, and this unmentionable is grief. There's not a person in this room this morning who hasn't experienced grief due to loss. Not a person. And some of you have experienced grief um, several times in a very poignant way. Some of you may even be in the midst of a grieving time right now. Or you know someone whom you love very much who is grieving right now. So my hope for this message this morning is that we'll not only learn from God's holy word, the book of Lamentations, how to deal with grief in a biblical way, but also how to be with those who are dealing with grief in a godly way. So this morning we're going to be reading from uh, the book of Lamentation, but let me give you just a little word about um, how this book came to be. Lamentation, it was thought that it might be the work of uh, Jeremiah, but scholars really believe it's more of a collection of poetry, uh, prayers, if you will, in poetic form that are expressions to God related to grief, specifically related to the exile, the Babylonian exile. Go back to 586 B.C. And the Babylonians have come into uh, Judah and they have ransacked the city of Jerusalem. Uh, those whom they haven't killed, who were the best and the brightest among um, those in Judah, they took off into Babylonian exile. And those who were left in a city that was once bustling with activity, and there were feet, many feet, pattering everywhere throughout Jerusalem, all the time was like a ghost town. The Babylonians had laid waste to it. The temple where you once worshipped, and, and, and you may even worship the temple a little bit because it was so beautiful and it was such a place of holiness. The temple was in ruins, not one stone upon the other. And lamentation was written as an ancient lament, a prayer to God who can handle our laments, a prayer to God in somewhat not only extreme grief, but maybe even at times anger. And this particular lamentation or lament that we're going to be dealing with today is written in an acrostic form related to the Hebrew alphabet. So um, Alfie and Bet, that, that, those first two verses would be uh, what we'd call A and B and C and so on and so forth. Now, we don't have full appreciation for that because we don't speak Hebrew. Most of us don't. But perhaps it was written like that so people could remember it. They could remember how to use the lament in the time of their grief. Not only about what had happened years and years and years ago that they, of course, didn't, uh, wouldn't remember, um, but that would be a word that we could turn to over and over and over in our lives when we're dealing with our own grief. Anyway, we're going to deal with the ABCs, if you will, of grief this morning. Now, our scripture is on the screen, so I'm going to ask us all to stand uh, out of respect for God's holy word, and we're going to read this, uh, this uplifting passage. 
How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces, has become a vassal or a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion mourn. For no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young girls grieve. And her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters, her masters, her enemies prosper because the Lord, see the Lord's going to even get blamed for this. For the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion has departed all her majesty. Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. This is the word of God, believe it or not, for the people of God. You may be seated. Now people, you're out there thinking right now, what on earth? That's the most depressing scripture I've ever heard. I mean, I came to church today. I was hoping to come and leave feeling good, and I'm already depressed. I don't know, preacher, how you're going to get out of this one, but right now I just want to go to Luby's or somewhere. (laughs) Grief, yours and mine. You know, know, I'm, I'm at a little bit of an advantage to you this morning. In that I've been working on this sermon all week. And I've already stirred up all of my poignant grief moments in my life. I've thought about the times when my unresolved grief got to me. I've thought about loss. And it wasn't a fun week working on this sermon. So I apologize because you may have just started your recollection. You're remembering of grief. You know, in 1969, a woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she wrote a book, a book that became a classic. All seminary students had to read it. Uh, Everybody who's dealing with psychology or any form of counseling have to know it. And in Kubler-Ross's book, she wrote about the five stages of grief and she studied terminally ill patients in determining this kind of natural behavior, uh, these stages that we go through when we're dealing with grief. Now, she also said that you don't have to go through all of these stages in order to experience a healing. But she noted that more often than not, people went through these five stages. First is denial. 
This can't be happening to me. I must be dreaming. Or are you just going through life like nothing ever happened? You're laughing and joking and, 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 and this bad thing has happened and people around you are saying, denial. And then secondly, anger. Why did this happen to me? This isn't fair. This is natural. Thank God that our Bible, the Psalms, some of the Psalms and the Lamentations, they, they, they get at this human emotion, this understanding of a deep-seated anger. Why, God, why? Even Jesus on the cross questioned why. And sometimes that questioning that we have is, 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 is an angry response. But I want you to be comfortable that God can handle our anger. Okay? In fact, God likes it. When we express ourselves, our most raw human emotions, that doesn't turn God off a bit. He's saying, come on. Bargaining. God, make this not happen, and I'm going to do this. Now listen, I've been there. I mean, I've been through seminary and I've been there. I know that we don't have to bargain with God, but why do we? It just kind of feels right. God, if you'll let me live to see my son graduate, I'll be a good preacher. And then your son graduates and you say, God, I meant to see my son retire from his work. And I'll... Try to be a better preacher. Depression. I'm too sad to do anything. I just want to go in a hole somewhere and kick the dirt over me. And finally, the stage of acceptance. I'm with peace with whatever happens. That's that peace that passes understanding that Paul is talking about. That's that grace is, that is sufficient to supply all my needs. That kind of acceptance. And while I was working on this sermon, what made it extra tough was not only my personal recollections, but... I was dealing as you were dealing with that terrible accident that happened in Branson, Missouri. A duck boat capsizes and 17 people drown. And there's one woman I saw on TV. I was working on this sermon on Friday and all of a sudden she, she's on TV and she's talking about she lost all three of her children and her husband and nine members of her family gone there's nothing prepares you for that to lose one child is devastating to lose all your children to be on a, a fun boat ride and all of a sudden you find yourself as she said I was drowning and it, it was dark I couldn't see anything and I was just praying Jesus let me get to my children and she said and the water started getting warmer and warmer and I just popped up and, and there was this big boat and there were people I didn't know jumping in the water 
and throwing life preservers. And I was just praying, where are my children? And when I got on the boat, there was none of my, none of my family was on the boat. hearts break for her she's talking about you know around our house there's the pitter patter of little feet always there has been and I've got to go home this week to Indianapolis no pitter patter no husband let's get to the alphabet The A coming from lamentation is abandonment. It is natural for us when we are experiencing grief to feel abandoned. Sometimes to even feel that abandonment from God. You know, it must have been an utterly haunting experience for those who were still left in Jerusalem to see their city so desolate, so destroyed, to see their temple flattened in ruins and for them to be there to try to pick up the pieces. And abandonment is one of the keenest pains of a grieving person. A widow or a widower feels it. It, it even turns a funny direction. Sometimes there's even um, anger at the one who's died, who had nothing to do with their own death, who couldn't control it. And all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself just, why did you leave me? Jesus knew about it. In John 14, we read that so much at, at um, um, memorial services and funerals where Jesus is talking to the disciples about how he's going to um, leave them. And, and, and he said, I will not leave you orphaned. He used the word orphaned. I'll not abandon you. For the Holy Spirit's going to come and be the comforter. When I'm gone, the Holy Spirit's coming. I'm coming in the form of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. See, Jesus knew that's a natural expression that we have when we go through grief. We feel like we've been abandoned. Even abandoned by God sometimes. We can't pray. Now, I want to say a word to those of us who are dealing with others who are going through grief right now. Listen. When a, a grieving person verbalizes this feeling of abandonment or loneliness, there is a tendency among us to comfort them in their pain by assuring them that they are not alone. Hey, we're here. And, and although our hearts are in the right place, that's not the way to go. You know, we want to fix things. We want to make it right, don't we? We don't like to see people in the midst of hurt and pain. And so uh, oftentimes it's a natural response for us to try to assure with our words. But what we're doing is we're saying what you're feeling right now, this feeling of deep abandonment, it, it doesn't matter. It's invalid. And we're telling them not to trust the way they're feeling it. And, and really what we're saying is we're signaling that we're the ones who are uncomfortable with their depths of grief. 
We, we need to take a page out of, uh, out of the Hebrew um, tradition. We need to take a page from the, the sitting Shiva, as it's called. The sit Shiva is to visit with a person who is mourning, and generally it is to do so in silence with very few words spoken, if any. You sit there with this one who's in the midst of grief. And you allow them to express their anger. You allow them to express their loneliness. You allow them to express their pain. And you sit there and you eat with them. And you mourn with them. The the best response that we can make to someone in the midst of grief whom we love is to not to do, to be. Not to say, to listen. B, broken in spirit. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and she finds no resting place, the scripture said. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Those who grieve experience brokenness in spirit and a sense of defeat. Now this is different than abandonment. It is more a sense of anger. Sometimes that anger is directed at oneself. It it, it finds itself in words of regret, like if only. If only I'd have gone to the doctor sooner. Or if only they'd have gone to the doctor sooner. Or if only I had thought about this. Or if only I'd have loved a little more. If only I had been more aware or conscious. If only I'd been more careful. If only, if only. It's the word of a broken spirit. And sometimes this brokenness can lead us to blame and guilt. And finally, the C is for cry. Now, I'm not talking about crying with tears. That's that's healthy and cleansing. I mean, we should be encouraged to cry. I'm talking about crying out. The Spirit of the lamentations is the crying out. And why do we cry out? We want somebody to hear us. Why do we cry out? We we cry out to God because we really do want somebody to fix this. And that is so natural. We can't stay in the midst of grief. We cry out in hope that God will hear us and will respond to us. Judah felt abandoned in broken spirit and the lament is about crying out. And from the beginning of the Bible, throughout the Bible, especially in the prophets, you have a God who says, I'm there with you. I will not leave you alone. When God comes in the form of a person in Jesus, who do we call Jesus? What do we call Jesus? Emmanuel. God is with us. The experience of of Jesus as the son and a grieving father over the loss, such a tragic loss of his son. Or in understanding Jesus as God himself, the experience of grief and loss and pain and misery and every human emotion you could experience, that's what the cross is about. A God who is with us, who knows where we are in the midst of our grief. This morning I preached at the early service. A man came up and said, I lost my son. He was 29 just two years ago. 
there was a family sitting in the traditional service and a young woman who was a babysitter of their children, she died tragically this week. And I had to think about my own dealing with grief. You know, on August the 12th, nearly a year ago, it was one of the happiest days of my life. Our daughter, Emily, she got married in our chapel. And then we went and we had a big party downtown. Big expensive party. And then, (laughs) and after the party was over, and my 80-plus-year-old parents, my mother in a wheelchair, they won the dance contest for the couple who'd been married the longest. We all went back to the hotel, and we got a call from home, our hometown, about 100 miles from here, that their, their home out on the farm had burned to the ground, and every earthly possession, every treasure, physical treasure they had, gone. Grief. You know, from the highest mountain to the lowest valley. Grief. I remember just a couple of days after the fire, still kind of warm, the ashes. There was an army that came to Chandler, some of them from Chandler, some of them from Lover's Lane, and we all came there and we started clearing off that slab. We started getting rid of that rubble. People came alongside my parents. They threw them a a life preserver, if you will. They jumped in the water with them. And and there they cleaned on that slab until it was all gone and clean and done. And the rebuild was on. I I noticed there was one woman from my hometown. And she and others were sifting through this rubble. They were trying to find... You know, one cup that was intact from my mother's wedding china or one plate or, 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 or one plate that my grandmother had painted. You know, all of these little treasures, it's amazing what starts meaning something to you when you've lost it all. And there was nothing but pieces of everything. But this one woman was picking up pieces. In a few weeks... The house is already under construction. And oh, by the way, their new house is nearly finished and they're just like kids. And they're going to it every day, twice a a day sometimes. And they're seeing their new house that their grandson designed for them. And they just can't wait to get in their new house and start over. But then, this woman knocks on the door and she comes in and she has a plate. No, bunch of pieces of plate that she has arranged in a mosaic in a framed mosaic for them to keep pieces of mom's dishes and her china and there it is and and then while I was on vacation a few days ago, I went to worship with mom and dad, and this same woman, she came up, and she said, I've got something for you. It's in the trunk. And she got out of the trunk this table that she'd made. <laughs> and the table is made of the pieces of treasure, and you can see my mom and dad's 60-plus-year-old rose-colored china. 
And underneath, you can barely see it, but underneath the table, there is one plate that she glued in place, took the time to find all of the pieces so that one plate could be brought back together. You know what that is? That's God. See, God comes to us in ways beyond our imagining when we're in the midst of our grief. And oftentimes, God has your flesh or mine. And He leads us to one who is grieving to do something beyond our understanding for another in need. Friends, I don't know where you are today. Some of you may be right in the middle of a bad time. You may be grieving the loss of something, someone. Don't leave here today raw. We're going to open the altar rails up while we sing. For anybody who just wants to come to the altar today to just pray. Because we can be assured that God hears our prayers however they're offered. If they're offered in the midst of our depression or in the midst of our anger. If they're offered in the midst of a time when we're still just not quite to grips with what's going on. We're praying to a God who heals. And God will sometimes use you or I in the midst of the healing of another or send to you or to me someone who is God's healing touch. be able to say, even if we're in the midst of our grief, he was jumping in the water with me. He he was throwing life preservers. He, He was like an angel. They were like angels. They picked up the pieces and they glued them together for me. They didn't try to pretend that it didn't happen. It was broken and crushed, but they made something beautiful out of it. Just a little reminder that God, He does His best work when we're in our greatest need. God doesn't cause that bad thing to happen But God sees that bad thing as a chance to redeem your life and mine. And to be able to get to that place that we say, no matter what, God's got this. Let's all stand. There may be some of you who want to move to the altar. We've got the rails open here. Y'all going to sing? So while the band sings, let's bring this service to a close by praying. Whatever the need is on your heart, it may be for you, it may be for another.
Maybe for somebody you don't even know you saw on television. Your heart broke. You don't know what to do, but pray. Lord God, move in our midst. Touch us. Heal us. And when we've cried enough, O Lord, dry our tears and help us to be, bring peace to another. <laughs>